to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. In this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion, I'm joined by Nick Shepherd, Business Development and Partnerships Manager at the GC Growth Hub. As part of the growth company, the GC Business Growth Hub is an award-winning, commercially-driven social enterprise that supports businesses in Greater Manchester, like Aurora, that have the potential, ambition and commitment to grow, from small to medium-sized enterprises to large, established businesses. Nick has been with the growth company for six years and is extremely passionate about the economic development that he supports throughout the Northwest. He began his career in hospitality and event management, working at some of Manchester's most iconic venues, Manchester Central, Manchester Town Hall, Central Library, Old Trafford and the City of Manchester Stadium, to name but a few. He's an expert in business development, project management, bid writing, negotiation, marketing and event operations. But above all, he knows small business. He knows their challenges and their concerns, and he's the ideal guest to talk to about how SMEs can create a culture of well-being, even if they don't have big budgets. Let's get started, Rebels. Thank you so much for joining me on the Wellbeing Rebellion today. Nick, how are you? Thank you very much for having me. I think when I first listened to your podcasts, when you first launched a few weeks ago, I listened to the first four in the same day and I was really excited when you, yeah, I really did. And obviously put it on LinkedIn. Um, you know, you two are the Ant and Deck of Manchester. So <laughs> the best act. Uh, and I just love how straight talking things are. And I think that's the kind of conversations that you need to have around these topics. Oh, good. Because that's what we're going to have today. I explained in your intro, your focus Um, at the um, GC Growth Hub on small businesses. And a lot of the people who work with Aurora are small businesses, small and medium-sized firms who struggle with this whole mental health um, being a thing now. They really find it difficult to copy what bigger companies are doing. They don't know how to do it. They they also feel different culturally. And and I, I just thought, it would be so good to have someone with such a level of experience working with small businesses talk about how they can still support their employees' mental health and well-being. So thank you for joining us. First question I have for you, because we we always want to get a sense of what our guests' experience personally is with the subject. So have you ever had a time where you struggled with your own mental health in the past? Yeah, I'd say that there was two occasions and what kind of both instances gave is actually a, a bad employer and a really good employer for how that they handled it. Um, mm-hmm. So my first sort of spell, if you'd like, was back in 2013. So it was my first ever job that I um, had from leaving college and okay. health and well-being was just not a topic there at all. And for me, as kind of a young, vulnerable 18 year old that didn't understand the world of work to me I still saw managers as teachers and that you actually can't answer them back and what they say goes um so I was working in a culture 
where the manager used to openly bully me in front of staff. So I was assistant manager to them um, and we used to manage about 30 staff per shift on kind of a zero hour contract at a hospitality venue. Um, it kind of openly called me derogatory names in front of people and would encourage them to do the same. Um, Are you joking? In no, 2013? Yes, when I was 18 years old and this person was uh, early 30s. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was times when I called them out on it and said, I don't like it when you do that and carried on. Um, hospitality is a is a sector where people do work long hours. Um, it's known for that. However, I wasn't encouraged to take annual leave. So for the whole year that I worked there, I had about three days of annual leave off and then sometimes two, one or two days a week because mm-hmm. I didn't know what annual leave was and you know as a young 18 year old mm-hmm. I would just mm-hmm. get a block payment for not taking my own leave I think oh that's great like it's extra money but you don't realize what annual leave gives you um just that time and break away to be yourself um made to work when I was ill um called in sick um mm-hmm. so I, I left that employer um and then I went on to to a different employer, but I was still kind of coming to grips with then going somewhere so informal to somewhere very, very structured and very, very corporate. And again, mm-hmm. I continue to struggle with that. Um, and it's not that they were a bad employer by that respect. However, I remember my manager taking me to the side and saying, there's something going on with you. You need to sort yourself out and I'll cover you for you while you do it. And that was fine. That was almost what I needed. But there wasn't that extra resource to kind of say, what do you need? How can we Mm. be there for you? Um, Mm. So that was that was the bad going into the could have been better. Um, Mm -hmm. And actually, the second spell was earlier this year. So coming into this year, um, I just reached a point where I wasn't feeling myself um, after Christmas. And I had mm. open communication with my manager because I know that we've got that relationship and I, I can say those types of things to him. Um, but what I actually did was access our employee assistance programme. Um, right. Now, interestingly enough, before I accessed that programme, I honestly just thought it was a load of corporate nonsense that you signed up to it and that it was a commitment. Yeah. And you know, you don't want to take anything from work into something that's been funded by work. But I was so surprised at the support that was available there. So I could go away and sort myself out. Um, I actually got eight weeks of counselling that was funded through the Employee Assistance Programme. Um, Mm -hmm. It was so helpful. And then again, if I wanted to have the open dialogue with my manager and let him know, about how I was feeling, what was going on, it was knowing that he was there supporting me and that that I could go and approach those topics and we could come up with ways through that. So very long answers, but I think it's interesting that to recognise what the good and the bad is. I I think it's um, something definitely worth picking out from what you said, which, yeah, they were long answers, but they were so helpful for me, was... The difference, effectively, in your first job, you were bullied and exploited. The second job, you were um, given space, but no support. 
Yeah. And then it's it's taken till now for for the business that you're in to understand that okay, you you need the space, but you also need the the support, the the remedial care to get you better. Otherwise, the space is a bit useless. And it's good to see this progression um, in terms of how mental health and well-being is dealt with in the workplace. Um, I, I also loved your. Um, your description of your view of EAPs before you use them and now after you've used them because I, I know a lot of um, clients whose employees think the same thing I mean EAPs are only used by six to seven percent of employees so a lot of people are skeptical about oh I, I can't talk about work in this work thing and I, I can't talk about non-work in this work thing. I don't want to use it. I don't know what it's about. So it's amazing that you've had this experience and you're able to talk about just how positive and helpful it is. Yeah, I just, I thought that, yeah, EAPs were just a, a corporate tick box and that you only had to take work into that. And it was actually completely the opposite. What I was wanting to go in to speak about was nothing to do with work. Mm. Um, and I just felt very supportive there was one day when I really felt like I couldn't get up and I actually gave them a call and within kind of half an hour of just speaking having an ear there just far removed from what was going on found myself up walking around the house speaking to them and I cannot recommend it enough to people to don't be scared of accessing it that's such um that's such great advice that's what we try to encourage people to do um one thing that I've I hear a lot is um, small businesses thinking that, you know, we, we don't have to care about this stuff or we can't even afford to care about this stuff. This is like for large organizations. We only have 20, 30, 50 employees. What, what, how do we get a mental wellbeing strategy? What do you think of that? Do you think small businesses need to, to care about, um, having formal strategies for dealing with their employees mental health and well-being they do it needs everybody everybody uh, has mental health and you know whether that's good mental health or bad mental health you need to be equipped for how to support your colleagues and employees um you spend most of your time at work so if you don't feel confident coming to work then that is a problem um if you don't have happy people at work you don't have productive people um granted not everybody has the budget to put behind it but it doesn't always have to be attached to money um mm -hmm. i've my family has their own sme i've always been around that it's been in my family since the 40s so i understand the grassroots challenges that an sme has uh, because they're not a large multinational company but they have enough and it's and they have enough time and resource to put those policies in. And... Mm -hmm. So what is the risk if they don't? If, if SMEs continue to hope that by dint of the fact that they're small and they know everybody and I know Sandra and if she's crying, I know I could take her to, to get a cup of tea and she'd be all right. But looking at it uh, in the kind of informal way that we were used to pre-pandemic, what is the risk to a small business? of not taking it seriously and investing in it so i think speaking honestly if you don't invest even if it is financial you're actually going to face much more financial implications further down the line because you're going to have people coming in 
uh, that aren't productive. They're taking more and more time off to deal with that. Um, at, at the beginning of this year with the spell that I had, I had a day where I woke up and I said, I went into work for an hour and I was a zombie and said, I actually can't do today. And I rang my manager mm. and said to him, I'm sorry, I can't actually manage today. I need a break. And when I spoke to my colleague about that, he said he asked no questions and he let you have that time off because he knows that if you're not running on 100%, if you don't take that time to get to 100%, then you're going to be much more unproductive for a lot longer. And it's the same with that. If the resource... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that being said, have you seen examples of small companies that you've worked with, maybe in the GC Growth Hub or um, come across maybe even your family's business, where they have um, invested either time or, or money or resources into developing some great and effective mental health and well-being initiatives? Have you seen anything that really works that our audience would be able to to, to maybe copy? Yeah, definitely. I mean, of course, I've touched on the EAP programme, businesses that invest in that. I think that that's a really good resource. Taking it away to those businesses that might not have as much money. Sometimes it's as simple as making sure your employees are aware of what resources are out there. So you campaign mm-hmm. into an EAP, but then there's numbers like Samaritans and all different types of support helplines that you can just mm-hmm. make a poster in the office. You can send an email around and sometimes let people know the value of what resources come out of uh, schemes like that. Um, training mental first mental health first aid officers as well to not only be a sounding board for those that need uh, somebody to speak to, but also people to recognise the signs of people um, that are struggling mm-hmm. with the mental health. Um, and then there's even encouraging the company to take time out or go for lunch together or go for a walk mm-hmm. together. Um, I think knowing that people have the flexibility and you know if you have to take the time out for for a doctor's appointment that you're not saying right you know I was two hours back because yeah people are people and it doesn't always have to be signposting and speaking to somebody sometimes it's that empowerment of people um to to understand that they have their own lives going on and then those people will feel more valued and they'll want to give back to you as well I think there's definitely some challenges involved um, with not having the money to invest in your mental health and well-being, but that doesn't that doesn't negate the fact that you still have to do something to support your staff. I think things like EAP are brilliant, as you know, but I would recommend that if you've got an EAP, you continually re-educate your employees about its existence about how it works, reiterating the fact that you in HR are never going to know that they contacted DAP or what they discussed. It's confidential uh, and and help people to feel confident using it, tell them what the service can support. So that's one way to get the most out of your EAP. Um, And then things like um, public services, free charity advice like Samaritans and things like that. Again, making sure that uh, people know the numbers, the contact details, like you say, but also what kind of support is offered and what kind of access. Even speak to speak to them and find out if they have local branches, that kind of thing. 
then I'd say, yeah, definitely have lots of notifications everywhere about where these services and support services can be accessed. But people often don't read posters. So talk about it as often as you can, right? Yeah, things like um, coffee mornings, just get people together and let's be far removed from work. Let's not answer the phones for half an hour. Um, Mm. People need to know people as people and you're part of our partner network at the Business Growth Hub and that's very much what we try and uh, instigate as well, that yes, we're all here to do business, but let's have a good time together and Mm. let's understand where we've gone on holiday and what we've got up to at the weekend and you you spend so much of your life at work and you've got to enjoy coming here mm-hmm. um, we, and I think that that does help with the psychological safety right it helps because if you can talk to someone about their holidays and their kids and their pet dog needing to go to the vet then it's more likely they can talk to you about how they feel when they're not so great right exactly and there's also um a lot of um, elements of equality, diversity and inclusivity woven into health and wellbeing as well, because are your policies inclusive? Do you have a diverse and inclusive workforce? Because if you're going into a business and you might be the only LGBT person, say, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then are you going to enjoy coming to work with potentially 19 other straight white males amongst you? Um, and if you're not making that a priority to make sure that you're following through the quality, diversity and inclusivity as well, that's going to impact on people as well. If they really feel like they're standalone in a big crowd. Mm-hmm. That's a whole topic for a whole nother podcast, because I think that you make a really good point there about um, spaces feeling comfortable for you and feeling like you belong And that sense of belonging is part of the psychological safety and how you can create that. We have clients in remote parts of the UK who don't have a a massive ethnically diverse um, population to call upon. But does that mean that they're, they're not required to continually make the workplace better reflect the population of the clients they serve no they still have to so yeah but we'll have to talk about that another day because i'll be back again <laughs> yeah you'll, yeah you can come back again anytime <laughs> i'd love to have you back um so so i love the examples that you gave about use what you've already got use what's publicly available communicate and make people feel comfortable at work have you got any examples of when it it's gone wrong i've stumped you haven't i yeah you have nothing goes wrong in my life. Um, oh, please, <laughs> everything goes wrong with them. Don't make me feel like I'm the only failure. No, I mean, um, I, I guess it, it, if we talk, go back to that story that you told of your first job, even though it was a while ago, I mean, it could only have been last week because you said you were 18, right? <laughs> <laughs> Such a creeping girl. <laughs> <Don't stop>. <laughs> <laughs> I I would I, I would be horrified to think that there are many organisations now where a manager could openly um, call an employee um, a name, a slur, repeatedly and encourage others to get to, to get on board and get away with it. I don't think I, I'd like to think that doesn't happen. But um, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if there are a couple of companies. But that whole thing of just you toughen up 
the, the onus being on you as the employee to just accept the situation that hasn't that's only just starting to change isn't it it is and so I've been with this business for nearly seven years and I have seen such a shift in the way that business is run and yes we've seen an even bigger shift since covid since we've come out um I think people thought that people were leaving for the remote jobs because they just didn't want to leave home and mm. they just wanted to wake up in the big hoodie fleece what you see people on in teams um it's not it's actually the, th- the things that sit underneath that um because it's a lot of those companies that allow that uh, working from home, allow you that health and wellbeing flexibility, the time to walk away and step away if you need half an hour away from your laptop. It's not the working from home element. Um, and again, the other way, I think a lot of people then felt really undervalued by their employer that had let them work from home for two years and they, it worked fine and they were completely productive, if not more so. And then they said, no. Actually, statistically, more so. Yeah, so that I saw your post on LinkedIn. um, And all of a sudden you get told, no, no, we want you in just because. And then that almost feels like a lack of trust, a lack of caring Mm -hmm. from your employer, which then again all feeds into that wider health and well-being piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I totally, I, I totally understand. And the thing is, I think when it comes to small businesses, um, you have to use your size as your strength. You can be agile and flexible, right? Because you, you don't have thousands of employees to manage. You've got hundreds or tens. So it should be possible for you to adapt what you do. So if homeworking doesn't work for everybody, there should be a way for you to resolve that um, and have some people in the office and some people working from home at least part of the time. That I think that's one of the key advantages of being small is you can be responsive to your employees' needs. You can. And interestingly enough, I think a lot of people talk about creating a workplace culture. And the mm-hmm. meaning behind the word of culture is the way that people do things, the way that we do things. And one of our other partners in the network, Joe Campus, who I know that we both love mm-hmm. uh, from Recent yeah. Solutions. Joe, I know you'll be listening to this. So Hiya, Joe. <laughs> um, she, she's very much about creating a workplace community, people-led, not culture-led, because culture is how the business wants you to do things. Mm-hmm. Community puts the people at the focus and then wants people to be part of that community. Um, so she's made some really good moves in making sure that people are put first rather than everyone is trying to what's our workplace culture now it's not it can't be culture because that's the way that you as a business want to do things and not by the people Mm. well uh, as a culture change consultancy (laughs) i take your point um i would challenge it but essentially it is about putting your people First, the thing is, I find so many companies say they do that, but they don't really. They say it and don't follow through with their policies, their 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 uh, initiatives, the workload, the care, the, all of that. Exactly, and I can see from my business again. I see the way that businesses work and that shifted. But I can also see 
ourselves as a growth company, how we've shifted as a business as well. We have adapted so much in just the time that we've been here. And a lot of that is led by employees leading the change. So focus groups, what do you want to see from the business? What what goes well? What do you think needs to change? Internally, we've got a number of uh, equality, diversity and inclusivity networks where we can speak up and say, I don't agree with the way that you do this. And then the company are really open to, okay, well, there's a different way of looking at that. And all that things, all that um, supports health and wellbeing, staff retention, and inclusivity um, because it's employee led. Um, however, we are a larger organisation, so you do have the time and resource to put into schemes like that. Um, mm. I think where you can give employees a voice, that's where it's the most important, and you genuinely listen to them. And we we are good for that. I think that's something that our uh, our audience, regardless of the size of the organisation they work for, definitely can take on board. I mean, the first pillar in our 360 wellbeing framework is discovery. And you make a really good point. Finding out what your employees actually want and need from you in terms of mental health uh, and wellbeing support, just by asking and asking consistently and in a manner that's safe for them to to answer it honestly and doing something with the results so listen and then act rather than listen and then file that is a free but very effective way of supporting your employees mental well-being definitely and there's a there's a document you'll have to remember the name of it what's the government branded document where you can make Conversations around mental health more organic to your employees. Mm, I can't remember. You're asking the person with the ADHD to remember yeah. a name of one document. You meant- but when we find it, we'll put it in the link. I'm sure I did mention it, but I can't remember. Uh, Obi mentioned it at a workshop at the beginning of this year. Um, right, we'll find out and we'll put the link in the show notes because if it is helpful, then you guys need to have access to it. Definitely, but to go into what that is, because Nagosi has no idea what I'm talking about. Um, no idea. <laughs> so it's a framework that's set by the government, and it has about 30 different questions where employees can rank themselves from one to five on oh. different aspects of... Me- there we go. No, so, I know what that know. is. Yeah. Yes, the well-being... Yes, I know that one. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, and basically... Yeah, I do know it. <laughs> it. It's a way of making mental health more organic within conversations because I think what people are finding out recently is mental health is such a broad term. And mm. when people... When, somebody says oh, I'm struggling with my mental health it's now at the point of okay well what because there's so many different avenues and people are exploring exactly what that means to them and it's a way of you passing it on to maybe your line reports and saying rank yourself on these any that are low you might then have a proper chat about and it's something that you might do on a quarterly basis and rather than yeah. saying how are you and just expecting somebody to completely open the floodgates mm-hmm yeah, it gives them the it's, chance. It's a really great tool. We um we teach our line managers in our training how to use that tool really effectively. It's a way of bringing the mental well-being topic into your one-to-ones in a natural but structured way that will narrow down 
exactly what aspect of the work is making them unhappy. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's a great tool that is free to use, um, but just use it consistently. And, that, and that's the key thing is we train people how to use it properly, um, like the surveys, don't roll this out and then do nothing with it. Please make sure that whatever you do, you do it strategically and you implement it consistently in order for it to work. But yeah, that's a good shout. So we'll we'll include the link to that in the show notes. And that is something that SMEs can definitely look to implementing in their organizations, regardless of size, to help them have this conversation. And I think what you said then about making things consistent, I think sometimes you may feel like you're just ticking boxes and maybe you're doing things for the wrong reason, but it's almost a catch-22 that you need to tick the boxes before it becomes organic, and then it will be. And then it'll be woven through everything that you do, and when you really start to understand it, um, you'll start to take notice of it. I think the thing is, though, it, to me it's, it's, it seems really obvious. If you're suddenly out of nowhere come along and say, do you know what, Nick? You, you are the most important person to us. Your welfare is priority for me as your boss. Yes, yes, I know I used to call you names. Let's put that as water on the bridge now, Nick. It's time for me to care about you, right? Uh, and I'm going to start by asking you to complete this survey, telling me exactly how you feel about every aspect of work, um, including my my management and my uh my uh, delegation of the workload. If you could answer it as accurately and as openly as possible, thank you. Well, Nick's not gonna suddenly start going, well, of course I trust you, Ngazi. I'm going to do that, not a problem. I'm going to score you really honest. But it's gonna take a while before Nick feels comfortable to honestly say, this is how he feels. If you go off his first score, you would say, well, Nick's fine with the way that I call him names all the time. He hasn't mentioned it. But if you keep asking Nick every quarter consistently and where he tests to see how you respond, you prove that you will listen and act, he will start to open up and you will start to see exactly how he feels. So that's the, that's the key. Just keep doing it. We, we're, we're in such a hurry to achieve everything. Me especially. I'm in such a hurry to achieve everything. I want to see instant results. But sometimes good things come to those who wait right it's right and i think when we embarked on our journey as a company we had such a long way to go and it genuinely feels like we're making really good strides there and being able to tell other people um and at the time you think okay they, are they doing it for the right reasons but they genuinely are um and you do just have to have patience and things will drop Thank you, Nick. And um, are there any other resources that you would recommend, perhaps anything that the growth company offers in terms of support for uh, SMEs who are looking to amp up their mental health and wellbeing strategic support? Yeah, so at the um, GC Business Growth Hub, we have a range of fully funded services for any businesses within Greater Manchester. Um, so within that, there is support around uh, your EDI policies, uh, your health and wellbeing policies, and also social value, CSR, whatever you call it, which essentially mm -hmm. underpins everything that we've discussed. So um, do reach out to us if you want to know more. And that's that's my shameless plug not shameless it's actually very helpful as i as you said I, we're part of the gc growth hub family 
and it is a tremendous amount of support. So um, we'll include links to get in touch uh, with the GC Growth Hub um, in the show notes and, and also the link to that um, that tool that, that Nick was referencing. So before I let you go, I have a signature question to ask you. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay. As a fellow wellbeing rebel, which I know you are, What's the one change that you'd like to see implemented in workplace well-being? For people to make it a number one priority. Um, oh. That's that is the the main thing for me because uh, so much is woven into health and well-being, and it affects so much. Um, we learned three years ago that people are people. Um, we let people into our homes, and you know we took when we needed to. Um, so it's now about putting people at the forefront of everything that you do. Um, yeah, pe- people aren't following the money anymore. They're following good workplace cultures. You could pay me 20 grand to do this job and work somewhere nine to five with no flexibility or thought about health and wellbeing, and I wouldn't do it. Mm, fantastic. That's a perfect response. Thank you. And see, you managed to think of that on the fly. There you go. I'm just yeah. wondering my priorities, that's all. Yeah, make make it a number one. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Nick, it's been a pleasure, as ever. Thank, Thank you. you very much for joining us. And uh, we'll have you back on again if you'll come. Absolutely. Yes, please. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues. Follow us on LinkedIn. The link will be in the show note and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.